Welcome to the Paranormal Factor Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Wright. Thanks for stopping by. This is the place to explore mysteries, investigate the otherworldly, and share stories of the inexplicable and the strange. You see, within the realm of our daily, ordinary lives, there is a paranormal factor always waiting to reveal itself. So let's begin exploring together the truly weird. Welcome listeners, and thanks for stopping by. As a reminder, the Paranormal Factor Podcast Facebook page is full of great content, and we post it every weekday, Monday through Friday. So please go out to Facebook and search for The Paranormal Factor Podcast and start enjoying some cool paranormal content today. Now, on to our episode, where we are investigating voodoo, including its history and the original voodoo queen of New Orleans, Marie Laveau. I can tell you, this is a very large subject area, and we can't possibly cover all aspects of voodoo in just one episode, but we will look into claims of magic, curses, voodoo dolls, what those are, and even zombies. But before we begin, it is important to note and appreciate the fact that voodoo is an accepted religion in several countries and it does deserve the respect accorded other religions and belief systems. While we'll focus on the more legendary and supposed supernatural aspects of voodoo, I do want to note those are aspects overblown in media, films, and tourist spots in the United States. They rarely align with the actual beliefs of voodoo as a religious practice. One aspect of voodoo that should also be mentioned is the positive empowerment of women in that it puts women in leadership roles, and has done so for hundreds of years, well before there was ever such a concept as women's rights. Marie Laveau, one of the most famous voodoo practitioners ever to have lived, held a great deal of power in her community, and is still celebrated every year at Mardi Gras in New Orleans. In a time when women, and especially women of color, had no power, Marie was able to transform herself into a formidable seer, spell weaver, and voodoo priestess who wielded considerable influence and power in the New Orleans community. While Laveau was not Haitian, nor did she grow up in a voodoo-practicing family, she does demonstrate the kind of strength and social influence female leaders hold in the practice of voodoo worldwide. Voodoo differs slightly depending on the region and point in history, but in all cases, practitioners believe in one supreme god, many ioa or spirits, and spiritual possession. Though voodoo spiritual possession is viewed as helpful, positive, and temporary only. This religion also relies heavily on various ceremonies, including those involving animal sacrifices, dances, rituals of protection, and ancestor worship. So where does voodoo come from, and how did it get to the southern United States, specifically Louisiana and the city of New Orleans? Well, we have to travel back a ways to understand its growth and its current state. A religion of West African origin practiced chiefly in Haiti and other Caribbean countries, voodoo, often spelled as V-O-U-D-O-U, is based on animism, a belief that objects in nature have souls, on magic, and on elements of Roman Catholic ritual. 
It is characterized by belief in a supreme god and a large pantheon of local and guardian deities, deified ancestors and saints, who communicate with believers in dreams, trances, and ritual possessions. Voodoo originated in the African kingdoms of Fawn and Congo as many as 6,000 years ago. And the word voodoo comes from the Fawn language and means sacred, spirit, or deity. The Fawn kingdom was located in what is now southern Benin, a region some anthropologists refer to as the cradle of voodoo. People also practice voodoo in Togo, Ghana, and other countries in northwestern Africa. Approximately 30 million people in Togo, Ghana, and Benin practice voodoo today, and voodoo is an official religion in Benin, where as many as 60% of the people are followers, according to the BBC. This African form of voodoo is a precursor to the voodoo practice in Haiti and other parts of the Western Hemisphere. The regions of Africa where voodoo has thrived are also areas that were heavily trafficked during the slave trade. Slavery brought voodoo to the Americas. The primary goal and activity of voodoo is to serve the spirits, to offer prayers and perform various devotional rites directed at God and particular spirits in return for health, protection, and favor. Spirit possession plays an important role in the Haitian voodoo religion as it does in many other world religions. As in Africa, in Haiti voodoo sacrifice is also important, and many ceremonies involve sacrificing goats, chickens, and other animals. In many cases, the combination of possession, animal sacrifice, and the ritual dancing and music that accompany them can seem overly dramatic or even frightening to outside observers. Voodoo is an important part in the day-to-day -day lives of many Haitians. Estimates vary, but in general, anthropologists believe that more than half of Haitians practice voodoo. Voodoo was brought to New Orleans by Haitian transplants to Louisiana over the duration of the Haitian Revolt from 1791 to 1804. Therefore, Louisiana's voodoo religious and social structure bears a considerable resemblance to Haiti's. But it is important to note that the practice of voodoo in New Orleans, while similar, is not the same religious system that is observed in Haiti. Haiti was isolated and religious and cultural practices were maintained and sustained. However, in New Orleans, voodooists had to adhere to strict European laws, codes, and oppression associated with enslavement. Voodoo in New Orleans consisted of root work and grigri or juju, People would seek out conjurers or other spiritualists for spiritual intervention or protection in their daily affairs. Although most workers used their powers for positive forces, there were some who did not. It was probably the work of this small percentage of people that was sensationalized by people outside of the religion. This aspect of the religion became known as hoodoo and is often the basis for misconceptions the public has about voodoo. Louisiana voodoo, also known as New Orleans voodoo, arose through a process of blending the traditional religions of West Africa, Roman Catholicism, and Haitian voodoo. It traveled from Haiti to Louisiana and specifically the Crescent City, New Orleans. It might have well diminished there or at least been unseen and largely unknown if it weren't for the celebrity of a powerful and public practitioner of voodoo who came to be regarded as the voodoo queen of New Orleans, Marie Laveau. If you're on a ghost, voodoo, or historical tour of New Orleans, the chances are high you'll hear stories and legends of the city's beloved queen of voodoo, Marie Laveau.
It's believed that Marie Laveau was born in the French Quarter of New Orleans. When she was born was not recorded, but it's usually stated as either 1794 or 1801. Marie was the firstborn free in her family. It's said that Marie's great-grandmother came to New Orleans as a slave from West Africa in the mid-1700s. Her grandmother, Catherine, was purchased by a free woman of color. Catherine was eventually able to buy her freedom and build her small home in the French Quarter where Marie Laveau would live. There is much speculation on how Marie Laveau rose to become the voodoo queen of the city. There's the theory she trained under the guidance of the famous Dr. John Bayou, a well-known Senegalese conjurer. Others believe she was raised in a collaboration of Catholicism and voodoo by her grandmother and mother, both of whom would have been practitioners with Catholic faith. There could be elements of truth in both theories. Regardless of where she learned voodoo, she did not take long to dominate voodoo culture and society in the New Orleans area before becoming locally accepted as the Queen of Voodoo. As a queen for several decades, people sought her advice for marital affairs, domestic disputes, judicial issues, childbearing, finances, health, and good luck. Laveau would in turn counsel her practitioners by supplying them with advice or with protective spiritual objects such as candles, powder, and an assortment of other items mixed together to create a gree-gree. While she was well known for extraordinary powers of prophecy and divination, did those come from some kind of mysterious voodoo magic? Actually, there may be a more reasonable explanation. Laveau became a hairdresser to create economic stability for herself and her family. She started a beauty parlor where she was a hairdresser for the wealthier families of New Orleans. And as she visited with her mostly white clients, she listened closely to their gossip. Marie may also have been supported by a network of informants she developed through her beauty parlor business. Through interaction with her black clients who were house servants, she began to acquire personal information about her wealthy white clients. She excelled at obtaining inside information on her wealthy patrons by instilling fear in their servants. Marie would either pay them or cure them of mysterious ailments in exchange for insider information she could then leverage for and against the wealthy and powerful. Laveau used this information to give informed counsel to the people who sought advice from her concerning their personal affairs. In this way, she became an extremely influential power broker in the city. Many wealthy and politically affluent individuals, both white and black, paid Laveau for personal advice, intervention in a situation, and protection against any evil energy that might have been placed against them. Laveau made a good income by selling charms and magical powders, guaranteed to cure ailments, grant desires, and confound or destroy one's enemies. She also told fortunes, gave advice on love, and prepared custom gree-gree amulets for anyone needing to effect a cure, charm, or hex. Although a local newspaper once referred to her as the notorious hag who reigns over the ignorant and superstitious as the queen of the voodoos, she was also feared for her power with numerous stories of what happened to anyone who upset her. At the same time, she healed the sick and was regarded by many admirers as a living saint due to her humanitarian work. Even so, rich and poor alike sought the aid of her dark powers to control lovers, gain fame and fortune, become pregnant, 
and exact revenge on others. Marie Laveau was also thought to use her dark voodoo powers to supernaturally extend her youth and longevity, but again, there may be a more rational explanation. The tale is often told of the devious switch that Marie Laveau and her daughter, Marie Laveau II, concocted. Marie was growing older, and with her daughter's likeness to her, they tricked the community into believing Marie Laveau was not aging. Her daughter would wear her mother's clothes and carry on in her mother's professional footsteps, leading everyone to think that Marie's powers were so strong, she'd stay young forever. The one common thread in most of the stories about Marie, too, is that she was a bit more wicked than her mother. She was a proud woman who carried herself confidently and was, by all definitions, an entrepreneur. In truth, we're not sure who Marie, too, was. She might even have been one of Marie Laveau's granddaughters. There is also some speculation that Marie, too, was no relation to Marie Laveau at all. On June the 15th, 1881, Marie Laveau died peacefully in her cottage on St. Anne Street, just a few months shy of her 80th birthday. New Orleans Cemetery records prove that she was interred in the Widow Paris tomb in St. Louis No. 1 Cemetery. Tourists continue to visit, and some draw X marks in accordance with a decades-old tradition that if people want Laveau to grant them a wish, they must draw an X on the tomb, turn around three times, knock on the tomb, yell out their wish, and if it's granted, come back, circle their X, and leave Laveau an offering. Marie Laveau's tomb is the most visited tomb in all of the many New Orleans cemeteries. Unfortunately, there have been countless acts of vandalism. The defacing of her tomb became such an issue that authorities no longer allow tourists to enter St. Louis No. 1 Cemetery without a licensed tour guide. If we listen to the guides on ghost or voodoo tours, then we're excitedly led to believe that Marie Laveau was indeed a voodoo queen and that her ghost still roams her cottage on St. Anne and has even been sighted at her tomb. Unfortunately, the only recorded truth to any of those stories is that she did indeed live and die in her St. Anne cottage, which was demolished in 1907. Marie Laveau is now, of course, famous, crossing the line from a historical figure to a famous pop culture icon well over 140 years after her death. By the early 20th century, the public practice of voodoo had heavily declined, although many of its practices survived as hoodoo. After the 1960s, the New Orleans tourist industry increasingly used references to voodoo to attract visitors while a voodoo revival took place. In the late 20th century, there was a revival of Louisiana voodoo, creating a tradition that more closely resembled Haitian voodoo than 19th century Louisiana voodoo described in historical accounts. But Louisiana voodoo is also evolving. Practitioners will often adapt voodoo to suit their specific needs, and in so doing, they often readily mix it with other religious traditions and practices. Throughout its history, many voodoo practitioners have also practiced Roman Catholicism. But in the 21st century, voodoo practitioners have expanded experimentation by combining voodoo with elements of Judaism and the Kabbalah, and even with Hinduism. There are actual voodoo stores in New Orleans that offer an authentic and real depiction of the voodoo religion. They sell herbs, charms, and other items that are accepted as part of the true religion. 
However, you can also travel to New Orleans and find plenty of tourist voodoo shops to visit. The shops are equal part amusement and creepiness, with gree bags, voodoo books of spells, alleged magic amulets, images of voodoo deities, and plenty of Marie Laveau, voodoo dolls, and rubber snakes. Interestingly, you'll also find many Catholic artifacts and gifts in these shops, highlighting the mingling of Catholicism and voodoo. These sites push the popular notion of voodoo, the one promoting New Orleans' supernatural reputation that's good for tourism. They stand alongside the ghost and cemetery tours and the vampire stories of the city. But what about such voodoo stalwarts as zombies, curses, and voodoo dolls? Do they exist? The answer, as we're about to see, is yes in some cases and maybe in others, but not necessarily in the manner you may have seen and heard from popular legend and folklore. Well, there are many aspects of voodoo that have lent themselves to imaginative and speculative interpretation and exploitation over the years. This has especially been true in the manipulative selling of voodoo tales in modern mass media with films like White Zombie, Night of the Living Dead, and dozens of other zombie films often forgoing any connection to voodoo at all. But the zombie remains a potent figure. More connected to voodoo but misrepresented in its depiction is the voodoo doll. Again, media portrayals are sensationalized and such dolls are usually characterized as evil or black magic, sometimes even having a life of their own. And the same can be said of typical treatments of voodoo magic, spells, or amulets, which are routinely shown as evil and even influenced by malevolent spirits. Zombies. Well, this may shock you, but zombies may actually exist. Just not in the form you're used to from popular Hollywood films and TV shows like The Walking Dead. In 1937, while researching folklore in Haiti, Zora Neale Hurston, American author, anthropologist, and filmmaker, who portrayed racial struggles in the early 1900s American South and published research on voodoo, encountered the case of a woman who appeared in a village. The family claimed she was Felicia Felix Mentor, a relative who had died and been buried in 1907 at the age of 29. In 1981, a man walked into a village in central Haiti approached a peasant woman named Angela Narcisse and identified himself as her brother, Clervius. If he had not introduced himself using a boyhood nickname and mentioned facts only intimate family members knew, she would not have believed him. Because 18 years earlier, Angelina had stood in a small cemetery north of her village and watched as her brother, Clervius, was buried. The man told Angelina he remembered that night well. He knew when he was lowered into his grave because he was fully conscious, although he could not speak or move. As the earth was thrown over his coffin, he felt as if he were floating above the grave. The scar on his right cheek, he said, was caused by a nail driven through his casket. The night he was buried, he told Angelina, a voodoo priest raised him from the grave. He was beaten with a whip and carried off to a sugar plantation in northern Haiti where, with other zombies, he was forced to work as a slave. 
Only with the death of the zombie master were they able to escape, and he eventually returned home. Legend has it that zombies are the living dead, raised from their graves and animated by malevolent voodoo sorcerers, usually for some evil purpose. Most Haitians believe in zombies, and Narcisse's claim is not unique. At about the time he reappeared in 1980, two women turned up in other villages saying they were zombies. In the same year in northern Haiti, local peasants claimed to have found a group of zombies wandering aimlessly in the fields. But Narcisse's case was different in one crucial respect. It was documented. His death had been recorded by doctors at the American-directed Schweitzer Hospital in Deschapelles. On April the 30th, 1962, hospital records show Narcisse walked into the hospital's emergency room spitting up blood. He was feverish and full of aches. His doctors could not diagnose his illness and his symptoms grew steadily worse. Three days after he entered the hospital, according to the records, he died. The attending physicians, an American among them, signed his death certificate. His body was placed in cold storage for 20 hours, and then he was buried. He said he remembered hearing his doctors pronounce him dead while his sister wept at his bedside. At a psychiatric center in Port-au-Prince, Dr. Lamarque Duyon, a Haitian-born, Canadian-trained psychiatrist, systematically investigated all reports of zombies since 1961. Though convinced zombies were real, he was unable to find a scientific explanation for the phenomenon. He did not believe zombies were people raised from the dead. He speculated victims were only made to look dead, probably by means of a drug that dramatically slowed metabolism. The victim was buried, dug up within a few hours, and somehow reawakened. From studying the medical literature on tetrodotoxin poisoning, Biologist Dr. Wade Davis discovered that if a victim survives the first few hours of the poisoning, he is likely to recover fully from the ordeal. The subject simply revives spontaneously, but zombies remain without will in a trance-like state, a condition voodooists attribute to the power of the priest. Davis thinks it possible that the psychological trauma of zombification may be augmented by detura or some other drug, he thinks zombies may be fed a detura paste that accentuates their disorientation. Still, he puts the material basis of zombification in perspective. Tetrodetoxin and detura are only templates on which cultural forces and beliefs may be amplified a thousand times, he says. In other words, the drugs facilitate the beliefs. Zombies are found only on the fringes of the voodoo religion belonging to the realm of secret societies, not the everyday praising of the gods. Do Haitians believe that the dead rise and become, at best, helpers and at worst slaves? Well, to some, zombies are just folktales. To others, they're as possible as a car crash. And to still others, they're somewhere in between. Most see zombies as a metaphor for hard life without reward, a loss of control, or worse, a loss of faith. Haitians do not fear zombies. They fear becoming a zombie against their will. The zombie remains a potent image in the rural folktales and philosophical discussions of Haiti even today. Voodoo Curses In the early 20th century, Julia Brown was a local healer and magic practitioner in Frenier, Louisiana. 
she would travel all over the village to perform rituals for people, and she was known for her magic touch. Unfortunately, the people began to take advantage of her, demanding her help, until she began fighting back. Those she deemed disrespectful and ungrateful would be given terrifying predictions, or she would curse them. In the last few weeks before her death in 1915, Brown would sing her curse for the town of Frenier to herself over and over. One day I'm going to die and I'm going to take all of you with me. Her passing came as she predicted and the whole town went to her funeral to pay their respects out of fear. As they began to nail Brown's coffin shut, a devastating hurricane tore through the village, killing all but two people. Just as the priestess had promised, the town died with her. Brown's curse seemingly lives on. Many developers have tried to rebuild the area over the years, it's said, with no luck. Yet others point to the words spoken by Brown as being a warning for the townspeople in an effort to actually save them from the approaching storm. Whatever she did, locals say, it wasn't out of malevolence. And if she's still in the swamp, you have less to fear from her than from the alligators. Curses often come in the form of charms, created to either harm or help, and are called grigri. For example, a common charm for protection or luck would consist of material wrapped in red flannel and worn around the neck. However, the practice soon changed, and the Grigri were thought to bring black magic upon their victim. Although in Haiti, Grigri are thought to be a good amulet and are used as part of a widely practiced religion. In the Cajun communities of Louisiana, Grigri are thought to be a symbol of black magic and ill fortune. Grigri that causes actual harm does so either through the power of suggestion or by the fact that they may contain poisons which the victim was exposed to. One example of a voodoo curse was to place an object inside the pillow of the victim. Another involves placing a coffin, sometimes a small model, sometimes much larger, inscribed with the victim's name on their doorstep. In other instances, voodoo practitioners hex others by placing black crosses, salt, or mixtures of dust on a victim's doorstep. To counter these hexes, some people clean their doorstep or sprinkle it with powdered brick. Another negative that many experts believe may be legitimate is voodoo death, more modernly equated with psychogenic death. No modern scientist believes that voodoo as magic is able to kill anyone. Instead, the current theory is the voodoo curse or hex causes such psychological distress to both the believing person who has been hexed and their family that a cursed person decides to die and may act in such a way as to facilitate death. In other cases, the victims may have in fact been poisoned by the individual putting a curse on them so that they died not of any psychological trauma or persuasion, but by actual poisoning. As voodoo practitioners have been known to work with poisons such as the form the common blowfish produces, the poisoning theory could be another likely explanation for the phenomenon of voodoo death. Regardless of whether voodoo death is a true scientific occurrence, the fact that modern scientists and doctors and medical journals are seriously discussing the possibility that something called voodoo death actually exists shows the negative power the belief in voodoo can exert on its believers. Healing plays a prominent role in current Louisiana voodoo. 
Various shops called Botanicus exist in New Orleans to sell herbs and other material for use in healing. In spite of the negative connotations of Grigri, so-called Grigri doctors have operated in the Creole communities of Louisiana for centuries and are looked upon favorably by the community. Voodoo Dolls Well, the voodoo dolls that are sold in shops in New Orleans and elsewhere are small human effigies made from two sticks tied in a cross shape to make a body with two arms sticking out. The head is of black cloth or wood usually, and it often has rudimentary facial features like eyes, nose, and a mouth. They are often decorated with feathers and sequins, and they come with a pen or a dagger and instructions on how to use it. It should be noted voodoo doll practices are found in various forms in the magical traditions of many cultures around the world. Although the use of the term voodoo implies that the practice is linked to Haitian voodoo or Louisiana voodoo, it's not prominent in either. The link between a black magical practice and voodoo was likely established through its presentation in Western popular culture, such as films in the first half of the 20th century. The common perception of voodooists poking pins into voodoo dolls does not reflect traditional voodoo. However, voodooists do dedicate dolls to particular spirits and use them to attract a spirit's influence. The voodoo doll is a form of grigri and an example of sympathetic magic. Contrary to popular belief, voodoo dolls are usually used to bless instead of curse. And what about the purpose of sticking pins? Well, the purpose of sticking pins in the doll is not to cause pain in the person the doll is associated with, but rather to pin a picture of a person or a name to the doll, which traditionally represents a spirit. The grigri is then performed from one of four categories, love, power and domination, luck and finance, and uncrossing. The rituals in West Africa or in Haiti or New Orleans involving dolls, however, have nothing to do with inflicting harm on individuals deserving or not. Instead, they are meant to heal. When hung from trees in cemeteries, they are intended to open and maintain lines of communication between the recently departed. Well, just as there are those that absolutely believe in the power of voodoo, there are those who dismiss the supernatural elements. Let's hear what they have to say. So, what do the skeptics say regarding zombies? Well, for decades, Westerners considered zombies little more than fictional movie monsters, but that assumption was questioned in the 1980s when scientist Wade Davis claimed to have found a powder that could create zombies, thus providing a scientific basis for zombie stories. Davis didn't believe in voodoo magic, but he did believe that he had found something that could poison victims into a zombie-like state. A powerful neurotoxin called tetrodotoxin, which can be found in several animals, including pufferfish. He claimed to have infiltrated secret societies and obtained several samples of the zombie-making powder, which were later chemically analyzed. Davis wrote a book on the topic, The Serpent and the Rainbow, which was also later made into a horror film. For a while, Davis was widely touted as the man who had scientifically solved the mystery of zombies. However, Davis's claims were later challenged by skeptical scientists who regarded his methods as unscientific, pointing out that the samples of the zombie powder he provided were inconsistent and that the amounts of neurotoxin contained in those samples were not high enough to create zombies. 
Furthermore, the dosages used would need to be exact since too much of the toxin could easily kill a person. Others pointed out nobody had ever found any of the many supposed plantations filled with zombie laborers on the small island country. Davis's claim continues to be criticized, particularly the suggestion that Haitian witch doctors can keep zombies in a state of pharmacologically induced trance for many years. Symptoms of tetrodotoxin poisoning range from numbness and nausea to paralysis, particularly of the muscles of the diaphragm, unconsciousness, and death but they do not include a stiffened gait or a death-like trance, as has been reported by alleged eyewitnesses. According to psychologist Terence Hines, the scientific community dismisses tetrodotoxin as the cause of this state, and Davis's assessment of the nature of the reports of Haitian zombies is viewed as overly naive. Roland Littlewood, a professor of anthropology and psychiatry, published a study supporting a social explanation of the zombie phenomenon in the medical journal of The Lancet in 1997. Littlewood summarized his findings in an article in Times Higher Education. I came to the conclusion that although it is unlikely that there is a single explanation for all cases where zombies are recognized by locals in Haiti, the mistaken identification of a wandering mentally ill stranger by bereaved relatives is the most likely explanation in many cases. People with a chronic schizophrenic illness, brain damage, or learning disability are not uncommon in rural Haiti, and they would be particularly likely to be identified as zombies. Voodoo has been associated with modern black magic, drawn together in popular culture and fiction. However, while hexing or cursing may be accepted black magic practices, Voodoo has its own distinct history and traditions that have little to do with the traditions of modern witchcraft that developed with European practitioners. Voodoo tradition makes its own distinction between black and white magic, with sorcerers known for using magic and rituals of both. But their fondness for magic associated with curses, poisons, and zombies means they, and voodoo in general, are regularly associated with black magic in particular. And what about voodoo dolls? Today, these voodoo dolls are strictly made for the tourist market in places like New Orleans or the Caribbean, where they're sold as inexpensive mementos in tourist shops, open-air markets, and thrown during parades. They're not used by actual voodoo practitioners to visit pain or ills on those they have a grievance against, although they may occasionally be used as a representation of various spirits. In fact, nowadays, most voodoo dolls you'll come across are made in China. Marie Laveau will always be a central figure in the history of New Orleans. If we go by the obituaries that were written about her, she was a healer and a philanthropist. She was a woman who nursed unfortunate people stricken by yellow fever, who ministered to prisoners in the parish prison, and who attended Catholic Mass daily. Perhaps there was voodoo woven through her faith and service. We'll never know for sure. The one rumor that has proven itself to be true was that secrets were safe with Marie Laveau, and still are, including her own. Today, thousands still visit the tomb of Marie Laveau to ask favors and leave small gifts, coins, Mardi Gras beads, or candles in the tradition of voodoo offerings. Across the street from the cemetery, offerings of pound cake are left to the statue of Saint Expedite, who represents the spirit standing between life and death. 
These offerings are believed to expedite the favors asked of Marie Laveau. Marie Laveau continues to be a central figure of Louisiana voodoo and of New Orleans culture. Gamblers shout her name when throwing dice and multiple tales of sightings of the voodoo queen, even today, have been told. Her grave has more visitors than any other in the United States except the grave of Elvis Presley. Despite the scary supernatural characterization of voodoo, the main focus of New Orleans voodoo today is to serve others and influence the outcome of life events through a connection with nature, spirits, and ancestors. Voodoo methods include readings, spiritual baths, specially devised diets, prayer and personal ceremony. Voodoo is often used to cure anxiety, addictions, depression, loneliness, and other ailments. As its adherents and practitioners say, it seeks to do good. The Voodoo Spiritual Temple across the street from Congo Square is New Orleans' only formally established Voodoo Temple. The temple serves Voodoo practitioners and combines elements from other religions. The cultural center next door offers handmade Voodoo dolls, blessed candles, grigri, mojo bags, oils, herbs, incense, art, and more. Located in the French Quarter, the New Orleans Historic Voodoo Museum houses many artifacts from Africa, Haiti, and New Orleans. There are detailed descriptions of objects discussing voodoo history and rituals. Throughout the building, you can listen to traditional voodoo drums. Overall, it's a great place to learn about the religion's history and practices. The museum also provides spiritual services, including matrimony blessings, marriage ceremonies, consultations, and other rituals. Many shops in the French Quarter sell voodoo-inspired gifts. However, to get your hands on authentic voodoo souvenirs, you need to find the shops that are owned by those who practice the voodoo religion. Shops like Voodoo Authentica Cultural Center and Collection, where the walls are lined with handmade voodoo dolls, medicinal herbs, and potions. Jerry Gandolfo, a native of New Orleans whose family has run the Voodoo Museum in the French Quarter since the 1970s, has seen loads of products and places that take the name Voodoo. And Hoodoo? Gandolfo likens the non-religious belief in the objects of Voodoo, or Grigri, to a belief that a four-leaf clover is lucky. New Orleans has had a long line of famous Hoodoo practitioners and shops, and people here still talk about spells that use images of saints, chicken feet, graveyard and brick dusts, pins and needles, candles and incense. The shadow of voodoo hangs heavily over New Orleans, the Crescent City. Its presence felt from colorful tourist traps and old antebellum drawing rooms to the tiny burning altars kept hidden from prying eyes. Much like the sprawling, baffling, bewitching city it calls home, New Orleans voodoo itself is a distinctive entity made up of a multitude of different beliefs and strengthened by the extreme hardships many of its original practitioners were forced to undergo. It's thanks to this form that voodoo dolls, voodoo queens, and grigri first entered the American lexicon and eventually its pop culture, and it remains a huge cultural attraction in New Orleans. Whether or not you believe the countless stories, Voodoo has left a remarkable and rooted impression upon the city of New Orleans. From its past history in the city to today, it is intricately interwoven with the city's fabric of legacy and lore. Are the claims of voodoo curses, magic, and supernatural influences real? 
Well, that answer may just depend on what practitioners, and you, believe. There can be no doubt that the Voodoo Queen's heyday is behind us, but though they may not have the same power and influence as did their predecessors, priestesses, mambos, and modern Voodoo Queens of New Orleans carry on the important work of serving the Voodoo community in addition to educating the curious public. There has been a considerable upsurge in interest in voodoo recently across the United States, particularly in Louisiana. Today's priestesses and priests serve a growing community of devoted students of all races and classes. New Orleans modern priests and priestesses carry on proud traditions and keep the religious heritage of voodoo alive. So maybe voodoo and its queens then could be back on the rise. And if you walk the streets of New Orleans French Quarter, especially at night, it's easy to believe and feel that voodoo magic, in some form, is alive and well in the Crescent City. Well, in our next episode of the Paranormal Factor podcast, we investigate truly frightening entities known as shadow people. They've been encountered worldwide, and the cases of personal visitations and sightings are widespread, enough to more than warrant consideration as a true phenomenon. We'll describe them for you and provide possible explanations as to what these disturbing entities might be. And of course, we'll have plenty of actual encounters to share with you. So join us as we encounter the paranormal beings known as shadow people next time on the Paranormal Factor Podcast. And now it's time for the episode quiz. Well, it is time for the quiz, and I won't delay. So your question for this week is, what is the Crosley monster? Is it A, George's lizard man, B, Michigan's giant bat creature, C, lake monster in Canada, or D, Indiana's Bigfoot? Once again, what is the Crosley monster? Is it A, George's lizard man, B, Michigan's giant bat creature, C, a lake monster in Canada, or D, Indiana's Bigfoot? And the answer is... D. Indiana's Bigfoot. Well, we all know about the legends and tales of Sasquatch and Bigfoot, but did you know that Indiana has its very own legend about an ape-like monster in the forest? It's true. Indiana is no stranger to its own bizarre ape-like creature. The Crosley monster is a frightening creature most commonly sighted in the area around Crosley Lake, Indiana. Jennings County, well, it's a rural county, with majority of the county consisting of personal farms and woodlands. The area has two national wildlife refuges bordering it, so there's plenty of wild country for a Sasquatch-type creature to live and hide in. Reports of a gigantic bipedal beast began in the area in 2006, when it chased a couple of terrified campers for a brief distance before disappearing into the night. And while sightings of a large, hairy, humanoid creature walking on two legs were documented in 1839, 1860, and again in 1937 and 1976, compared to most modern Bigfoot legends, the Crosley monster is, well, a fairly recent one, with the first sighting being really only 16 years ago. In July 2006, four boys were camping in Jennings County, Indiana about an hour north of Louisville, Kentucky, when they saw two glowing red eyes, about eight feet off the ground, watching them fish. Once they shined their light on the eyes, 
They fled in fear as the creature became angry. They described the monster as covered in matted, dirty hair from head to toe with bright yellow teeth. That's kind of a new one. What differs from most Sasquatch stories is that when they first saw the creature, it was standing upright. But when it went to chase them, terrifyingly, it ran on all fours. The boys managed to get away as they watched the monster run away into a field. A few weeks later, the Crosley monster was seen again by a boy squirrel hunting. He said the creature circled him and threw leaves as if playing. Other than these accounts, not many people have heard much about the Crosley monster since. However, 16 years is not that long of time, so there is every possibility that the creature, if it exists, is still around. The creature is said to stand about 8 feet tall, with long matted hair covering its body, and remember, those sharp yellow teeth. While it's unknown what the animal could be, the dropping and running on all four legs could suggest a possible bear sighting. The problem with that explanation, however, is that bears are rarely seen in Indiana, with just a handful of confirmed sightings since 1871. What is known is the creature, whatever it is, has terrified the area of Crosley Lake and surrounding Jennings County for decades. Well, that'll do it for this episode. A theme song is Knockers by Cinco, courtesy of Upbeat Music. Hey, before you leave, if you could, please do me just two favors. First of all, if you did enjoy the show, please leave a like on your favorite listening application. And secondly, if you liked what you heard, please spread the word. Love to have some new listeners out there to join you. I'm your host, Richard Wright. Keep your eyes open for the unusual folks, and thanks for stopping by.